We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bivens, Vice President of Sales for Pioneer X. Today, I am here with Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Allen, Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Development. Today, we're here with Megan Smith, Assistant Professor and Residency Program Director at UAMS College of Pharmacy and Co-Network Facilitator for CPSN Arkansas. Hey, Megan, how are you? (laughs) Hello, I'm fantastic. Thank you for being on with us, uh, Megan, and um, we're really glad to have you. I know you're like heavily, heavily involved at um, the uh, CPSN piece as well. I think you're a co-facilitator there, but also obviously uh, Arkansas University as well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. It's great. It's a pleasure to be on today. Thanks for the invite. Um, I didn't know what to expect and so this morning, so we're just going to find out what we do. I said, okay. Yeah, we're going to learn about you, talk a little pharmacy. I'm used to having a slide set. You want a slide set? (laughs) You want a presentation? We could do a slideshow later if you want. Like if it starts to lull a little bit, we can break out the slides. No problem. True, true faculty right here. Right. We can look at, we can look pictures of our kids, your kids, my kids, like either way. (laughs) Yeah. Our our podcast is much more geared toward just winging it. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's anything non-pharmacy related, um, Ted Lasso, The Witcher is coming up soon. I don't know if anybody watches The Witcher, but anyway. All right. No, that's okay. So I not only, I I watch the, so I, and this is the, the random spot. I will watch anything that Henry Cavill's in. Oh, like, you like Henry Cavill. I spent 20 minutes watching him build a computer He's on the, the internet. He's the Superman guy, right? Yeah. And, and the Witcher. The oh. Witcher. oh. Yeah. Okay. He's got this great, like, he was in Mission Impossible, like, 74. And um, there's a scene <laughs> where he's about to, like, beat the crap out of Tom Cruise in the bathroom. And he, like, reloads his biceps. And Tom Cruise loved it so much that he made Henry Cavill do it on all of the um, the press like the press interviews. tour, like all the like press. Yeah. Oh, okay. So nice. there, there are like hundreds of internet memes of Henry Cavill reloading his biceps. Man, it's worth I didn't a watch. Know that. I feel, yeah, I feel like there's a love connection there. There is. There I mean, he's that, he's fantastic. Yeah, there is. There is. He is. He's yes. not the reason that the Superman movies were terrible. I feel left out because I don't know. <laughs> I do know. I do know. Um, I, I, I'm very familiar with Ted Lasso. Love that show. We were nice. we're not keeping up well with what episode we were on and we were watching it every weekend and we missed one so then we would you know, come to a few at a time my mother and I were watching them together and um we got to the end of the show and I was like is that that's not it that can't be the, that can't be the season finale <laughs> like, no no I think that was the last one mom's like do you have to wait for like a month I said no like a year <laughs> like, how, does, how does this work <laughs> why is it doing it this on again <laughs> we're like oh no our expectations were we were we were not emotionally prepared to be done <laughs> yeah you get really invested in it so if, yeah. in in favor of potentially prepping for a, a round two of this, what are your predictions for Ted Lasso season three? Ooh. I I think, it's, and I was kind of surprised it didn't happen in season two, but I am waiting for when he goes back 
um, for this son to go make a trip back to the to America. Mm-hmm. Like there's something's got to happen to bring him back over. Um, I feel like that's um, something in season three. I'm not saying that it's where it's that he's leaving the team, but that somehow the team or something he comes back into uh, uh, comes back to the to the to US of A at some point. Um, you know, I think the the whole love affair thing. Um, I think that's just going to I don't think that's going to sustain, but I'm kind of, I'm glad Sam stayed with the team, but I don't think that it's going to be forever for them. It's going to fizzle. Hmm. All right. What are your thoughts? So, I mean, season three is clearly like, we'll talk about pharmacy. I promise. Give me, give us a second. (laughs) I mean, I think if you think about season one was kind of like in star Wars terms, it was the new hope. Right. And then like the empire strikes back. (laughs) Nate's the evil guy. Now you got to come back for, the third season, they have to win in the Premier League. They have to beat West Ham, and they have to bring Nate back into the fold. Nate is gone. I <laughs> don't think he's going to come back. No, you think I, he's going to come back? I, I think he. Fold? I hope he pulls a Jamie Tart kind of mm. redo. But it, yeah, it took a while for me to come back to warm back up to Jamie Tart. And I, I feel like I'm very hurt by Nate right now. I don't, I don't even want him back. Yeah, <laughs> very hurt. I'm very hurt. It's funny though because you kind of saw flashes of Nate's insecurities through all three seasons, but like, or all yeah. two, both seasons, and just like, it just boiled over. It was wild. I was really shocked about how far he went, um, and it felt quick, like at the in the moment. But it, um, but you're right. There was a lot of foreshadowing and, and small things happening. But I, I was, I was shocked by that that ending. Dude, next year for Halloween, <laughs> are we, we Ted Lasso? Are we you, Ted Lasso? one of us can be Lasso, but one of us has to be Trent Crum of the Independent. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have the hair for Josh, that. Josh, that's got to be. You. Yeah, I don't have the hair for that. Clearly, like, <laughs> I'll yeah, start Josh growing my hair now. I have to get a wig. Like, even then, it'll look weird. <laughs> <laughs> only if you grow a mustache <laughs> right yeah um, he's not with the independent anymore that's right yeah he truly is independent truly is <laughs> independent uh, and you that, can tell he is a fr- like he's a newer dad so he's like got the dad pun jokes um yeah finally loaded. The, the dad jokes <laughs> are strong new, newish not super new but yeah i've had four years to get into it yeah so usually what we like to do is just kind of like can you Give us a little bit on like your journey into pharmacy. Like what, what even led you to, Hey, I think I want to go to pharmacy school in the first place. Yeah, that's a great place to start. And, um, my journey begins way back in high school. <laughs> like I think a lot of, a lot of folks, but I did not know what I wanted to quote unquote be when I grew up, but I did work at a community pharmacy since I was a, um, sophomore. Yeah. Sophomore in high school. Um, I liked my job. I was the customer service representative to put it nicely on my resume. I was like, what do I say? I answered the phones, Um, but I answered the phone. I talked to people as they came in took their prescription, checked them out, process sales. That's how you put that on a resume. That's right. So I, um, so I ended up working two years at a, um, laboratory company. Uh, I was a lab tech. I used my chemistry background to get a degree in analytical chemistry and did um, HPLC and mass spec and just like worked on the medications. And we put all the packets together um, for FDA approval for different um, generic options for prescriptions. And so um, I worked at the lab and um, worked 
found pretty quickly that did not suit my personality very well. I was, I was like, I really want to be back yeah. talking with the talking to people. I was going to say that is the opposite <laughs> of what you enjoyed at the pharmacy, probably. So oh, now you were scanning opposite. and working away. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so then I um, started to, to change my question for what I want to be when I grow up to what do I want to study? Um, what do I want to learn about? And so I looked at programs, more of what classes would you take? And someone, again, somewhere along the road mentioned something about pharmacy. I'm like, well, I don't know. They don't talk to people that much, but let me figure out like what, what it is. I looked at what they had to study. I loved all the classes. It was just enough of kind of a, you, I, I got to know a little bit about everything. It was very general. It felt like I could, you could do a lot with that field. So I started to interview other people I, um, in hospital administration and just pharmacists that were around the city I was living in and asked them about the future of the profession. What could you do with it? So really putting my due diligence into finding out more about the profession as a whole and um, seeing the variety of that caught my eye. And I liked the fact that I learned a little bit of everything. I wasn't getting a PhD and how this one molecule worked, you know, it was, <laughs> so that, that was attractive to me. Um, so that's what decided me, led me to, to pick pharmacy school. And throughout um, the pharmacy education, I was trying to figure out again, okay, which area then that was for me. And um, I kept coming back to community pharmacy because there was nothing um, I didn't really feel like I fit in a box of a specific disease state to become a specialist. Um, I always liked teaching and I'd always led our study groups. Um, but I thought that that was something you did when you retire, like when you're old. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure that was a, a career path you could do like right away. Um, so I, I didn't learn about that until uh, later into my residency. Um but the community pharmacy aspect, I love the interaction with people and that every day um, I could be interacting with new folks. And I just um, I liked being able to usher them like my most my favorite activity was um, counseling on over the counter prescriptions. Um, the, the amount of teaching that I got to do with that because they wow. are making decisions and I can tell them something today that they're going to do next time they have a cold and the next time that something happens. And I love that interaction. Um, so I uh, decided to do a residency to help um, kind of start my career into as a community pharmacy manager specialist. I wasn't really sure uh, where it would end up. And during my residency year, um, I kept kind of that little light about uh, teaching kind of in the back of my mind. And uh, one thing that residency opened my mind to was scholarship and research. And, okay. and I came from that laboratory background and I was like, I don't want to be in the lab anymore. That wasn't, that didn't suit me. I want to be out with people talking people? <laughs> and helping and facilitating. And so they, um, the, the community residency program showed me that research doesn't have to be, um, in the lab research, right. there's a whole lot of different kinds of research and what, what's the type that we do with community pharmacies. Um, so it lit a whole new fire in me and, and kind of really is what, turned um, my perspective and, oh, can I do this now? Because I saw such a need um, between some of the, the scholarship and research that was happening uh, in pharma the pharmacy profession was happening in our health system setting. And when I was looking at the history of just how do we get out of the basements, essentially, how did we get out of the basement of hospital pharmacy and onto the floors? Um, there was a lot of partnerships with academia and a lot of studies that came out of that showing um, the ROI and what are they doing? What types of interventions are they doing? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, where's the community pharmacy piece for this? Um, and I was in my residency. So I was there at a pharmacy day in and day out. And I thought there's so much work to do and how I can't take care of my patients and the, you know, and filling everything and 
work on these long-term, like, uh, well, how do I show that it's worthwhile, all the things that we're doing? And, um, and so I was like, there has to, I just, from that, I thought there has to be a way and more, um, relationships and connection with academia and partnerships with academia and community pharmacy so that their story can be told. And so that's how I summarize it to, um, to, to, to most people as I, I feel I, my view, my role as telling the story of community pharmacists and the major impact that they're having on their communities every day. How do we bring more attention to that? How do we uh, bring more tools and resources to them? Like that's, um, that's now that's what I'm doing every day. <laughs> so, um, if I remember you went to university of North Carolina, correct? Yes. So did you do your residency there in North Carolina as well? Yes. I did. Um, my residency was I'm at um, UNC Ashland School of Pharmacy. They have multiple site partners. My site partner was Car Drug in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and so I went to Asheville and I got to work on the Asheville project. So if you what is that? Right. Bring I, that don't, into I don't know that. I don't no, know. It, what it it's is. big. Yeah. And some it's cited a lot as saying that phar- pharmacists have an impact on chronic disease management and we can save money. So it's the oh, city of Asheville yep. put their city employees on this program where they have to meet with the pharmacist once a month and they get benefits of reduced copays or free supplies. Um, and then it's showing that it's those folks who saw the pharmacist once a month that they actually lower total cost of care for their diabetes and hypertension services. I see. Um, so it gets cited um, quite a bit. And I was, and so it's really neat that in one sliver of my, my experience, I was like, I can be a part of that. And I was one of those providers, um, at the Asheville project. And so, um, yes, all of that happened in North Carolina. My residency was in Asheville. Then directly after my residency, I started a community pharmacy fellowship. Again, that kind of that, that fire of what is research? How do we strengthen this relationship? What's the type of re- the re- research and scholarship that we need for a com- to enhance community pharmacy practice and show people what's actually happening? They're not just counting pills. Right. So how do you do that? And um, we, I felt like, well, that's the area that I have the least amount of training in. Um, pharmacy school doesn't prepare you to be that type of you know faculty or, or researcher. And so I decided to. Um, with, well, I, it wasn't just me deciding, but I kind of pushed for it. Look, I'm really interested in, in, a, in a career in academia. Um, I need, I feel like I needed more training on that, you know, on that side. I felt like I had, my residency really helped me improve my clinical skills. I felt like I was a legit clinician um, that I could be as a pharmacist. I felt like that I had that part, but I didn't have the research part. So um, I completed a two-year fellowship, a community pharmacy academia fellowship at UNC, Oshman School of Pharmacy, so back with my alma mater. Um, But what was really neat about that experience, what kind of funded the fellowship was, or ended up funding most of the fellowship was the um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovations Grant to Community Care of North Carolina. Oh, okay. That was um, awarded in 2014, and that's when I started my my fellowship. And so my fellowship was, I was Seventy uh, percent of my fellowship was paid through that grant, in that I, I had to work, of course, on that uh, as a sub um, a sub grant uh, research assistant in there. So I helped with field testing and assessment, quality improvement, um, just really field site training and assessment. Sure. So working with a 
the the those that were dubbed the first CPESN and right. what does that look like? How did all that bring together? Who are they? Um, what are we all doing? And so I um, was on the kind of the, the ground calling and talking to all of them of how are they doing care planning? What are they doing? How are we documenting it? And then um, creating some ways for us to measure their impact. So uh, that was my fellowship, which has just catapulted or just kind of made my entire career path. Um, and I'm still now working with a great group here in Arkansas. Uh, and, and that CPSN has made that CPSN has maintained and has grown to be what it is today. So it's really neat to be a part of that, that first kind of what is this <laughs> um, uh, group and see it blossom from the very beginning roots to, to now. For sure. What was it like? I, I just had a question about like, you know, you were there the kind of the beginning of introducing care planning and, and things like that to, to pharmacies. What was that like? And what, what tools were you using to help pharmacies capture the data you guys needed to capture for the purposes of the grant or to show whatever outcome you guys were looking to show? One of the things that I spent a lot of time coaching about was just this, the reason why. Why do okay. we need to even write this down? What does it matter? Why am I doing this? Um, right. yeah. And, and to be fair, that's still that. a question we're answering all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're still answering that. It's, it's like, why Why do you want to do that? So that's something even from then, you know, 2014 to now. And I think it's just a growth. I think it's a natural growth of when you start doing, you know, changing, transforming this in your mind. It's, it's a very much a perspective change. This is not a technology change. It's not... Um, it's not a technology change. It's a big thing. People think, oh, it's just a light switch. I flip it on and I, I'm just going to click these two new things and I'm done. It's like, no, the, all, the entire thing is a perspective change on what services are you doing and what are you providing and getting um, credit for that is kind of the way I put it. It's like, what, how are you getting credit for all the things that you're doing besides putting the p- pill in the bottle? What And then what do you want to do and what do you want your business to be about? Um, and Community pharmacies are so, um, and the pharmacy out are so well primed with data that you uh, you see um, for through your prescription prescriptions uh, dispensing software or through Pioneer whichever you're using that you can see your patients what they're getting when they're getting it like you have so much insight into how they are using those medications and that's what brings you you know the um, makes them special makes you special makes the community pharmacy special and makes them. Uh, information that they can take and use and, and, and transform a direct patient care and saying, Hey, this seems odd for you, or this one's up for you. And you can use and mine that data rather than being it just kind of there. Um, so you, there's just a, a unique, um, perspective with that community pharmacist, I think can provide with the amount of, amount of, uh, information we know about patients. And then of course the amount of times that we see patients. Um, but it's, yeah, it's that whole, why am I doing this? And, um, I think it's getting easier now. I think um, folks are, mm-hmm. are really starting to see some of the fruits of the initial um, the initial efforts that we have national payer programs. You know, yes, they're low hanging fruits, but we have some national payer programs like right. taking notes yeah. and well, saying I mean, you got to start hey, with the low hanging fruit, right? You, you can't go to. after the yeah. the really hard stuff first. And, and to use your own words, it's helping. You know, that that care planning they're doing, it, it sounds like to me, you guys both correct me if I'm wrong, you're telling a better story. Yep. Right? Right. It's exactly what you're doing. It's not just, here's the prescriptions they get. It's it's that extra documentation you're doing or the documentation your system already allows you to do inside of it. Tell yeah. you that, tell that better story to that payer. 
to, to, to exactly. whoever's going to be on the, the, the hook for that bill if, if that patient goes into the hospital because they're not adherent. Right. And so one thing I kind of want to pop back a little bit on is, you know, like when I was in pharmacy school, I had a, a professor who was like 85, super, super nice guy. He'd been around and been everywhere, right? And he said, one of the things that you're going to realize about pharmacy is it's such a small world. And like every time you kind of go into a different place, you realize yeah, that's, that that's true, that's right? super true. A lot of the stuff that we do about care planning and how we structure care plans and how we document them ties itself back to early CPSN and CCNC and pharmacy home. And then you find out that one of the more successful flip the pharmacy cohorts has roots in North Carolina and CCNC. And so, you know, a lot of the things that we both came around, now we tie that little spider web back together and... Hey, look, Megan was one of the early people in translating CCNC into what is now CPSN and Flip the Pharmacy. All of us using information off of Community Care of North Carolina. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I, um, one thing that I had to dispel uh, a few years after I've been, was here, um, I, a lot of ph Arkansas pharmacists, this, this buzz was going around and I, it finally got back to me and they're like oh they sent Megan here they sent me <laughs> and I was like nobody sent me here that's so good they <laughs> so sent her here and, and let, let's around. let's like, break no. that story up how did you get to Arkansas yeah how did you yeah well you know the fellowship opened my eyes to and made me feel more confident that I wanted to go into academia I felt like that is where I could, a lot of my strengths aligned and I wanted to be a partner to community pharmacists. And I, um, you know, at the time I didn't want to be tied to one location. I was like, ah, I think the a cohort of people, like a lot of people need that someone to just sit down and do the hard work or the, the time consuming work of um, coordinating all of these efforts and making the resources and updating everyone. Like we need, we need that. Um, and so I didn't want to be, uh, have a position that was like, you have to work 20 hours at this one place and you're the pharmacist responsible for these things. I'm like, that's great. That's going to help that store. But I really want to do something that would help more stores. Um, so at the end of my fellowship, I felt like I had a very specific uh, dream job yeah. <laughs> that I wanted. <laughs> like, I want something that's full-time in academia that's not tied to a pharmacy, but I can spend all my time in the pharmacies. Right. And, <laughs> and community you know? pharmacy focused, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I was like, I was so specific. Um, but I was just like, I don't know where I'm going to find this job. And so I was just doing, um, you know, looking on listservs, seeing what jobs are being posted, trying to use my network as much as possible. Uh, but it was February and I graduated in June. And so, uh, and I hadn't had anything lined up yet. And I was getting really nervous, the networking and People thought I was doing really interesting work, um, but they didn't have a, um, a, a spot open at their institution for those that I talked to at that point. Well, February was my last conference that I had on my schedule, and that was at um, the National Medicines Academy, like in um, the OT, it's like the OTC group within AACP for faculty uh, faculty who are teaching self care. And um, the only reason I got to go was because my fellowship director was on that planning committee and was about having that even exist. And she's like, here, you can take my spot because you <laughs> normally have to like present something to go. Like everybody, that was a requirement of the conference. Everybody had to present either a poster or a podium. Oh. And so I took one of her podium spots 
And so I was the only trainee there. Everybody else was a faculty member at a, at a um, college of pharmacy. And so I happened to be in this like little, little fish and all the like, I want to be you. Um, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, where are you going? And so it was a great opportunity to, to tell people what I wanted to, to do. And I happened to sit next to Rachel Stafford, who is on staff here at UAMS. And, um, she she and I just got to talk about things we we're passionate about with community pharmacy. We were on the same wavelength and we were like starting to already come become best buddies. And she goes like, so what are you, where are you at? What do you want to, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, I'm looking for my, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> I'm looking for my next place. <laughs> right. She's like, we have a job like that. I said, you do? <laughs> I'm like, how is it an That's hour so later good. in our conversation and right. you just now know that you have a job like that. But they, anyway, so she told me about the position at UIMS. Um, so before that meeting ended, I had a chance to briefly meet um, Amy Franks, who is the department chair um, and part of the search committee. Um, and so that's kind of just they sent me the um, the position description and I applied and then came out here and interviewed. And it just felt like um, I mean, if I could have written, which somebody actually told me to do, they said, write your job description, like write your dream job and write it out, write the whole position description. I did it in my head, but I never actually put it in the paper. When I got the position description that UAMS was looking for, um, it was exactly what I would have written. <laughs> like, this is it. Nice. This is what I want. Um, so it really was um, just a, a great find. And I found it through being at that conference and talking with her. Um, so it was just, it was posted. I just had never found it. So I was at the conference um, and texting my husband every time I met someone that I would kind of, you know, ask about positions open or whatnot. And I would send them, I was like, so what about Arkansas? Like, I'm talking to Arkansas now. And I was like, um, Puerto Rico might have something. And I was like, oh, <laughs> California has something. They're interested. Let me go talk back to California. And then I came back and I said, hey, Arkansas sounds really good. What about Arkansas? <laughs> and he goes, what happened to Puerto what Rico? To Puerto like, can Rico? we go there? Right, right. <laughs> Like we wanted to go to Puerto, he wanted to go to Puerto Rico. But I was like, no, Arkansas. And that, then we had to go back and look at where it was located because we both had no clue, <laughs> no, <laughs> no clue where the state was. But um, once I came out here for the interview, met everyone at the college, um, it it felt it just felt like the right place to be. Um, and it, it's over, over and above my expectations that the. Um, the, the folks, everyone here in Arkansas has been so welcoming and it's been the amount of collaboration between the Arkansas Pharmacists Association and the college oh, and the community good. pharmacists themselves. It's just phenomenal. And I just feel really uh, grateful to be part of that that circle now. Yeah, you know, um, actually at NCPA, I went and had dinner with Scott Pace and, you know, he's been on the show twice now. Twice? I think he's, yeah, he's one of the few two timers. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that he he's really proud of and obviously he's been part of a lot of it is, you know, like the legislative action that Arkansas has taken, the the way that the State Pharmacy Association really advocates for independent community pharmacies, and then really how they responded to COVID was kind of the yeah. perfect model of what what you want a community pharmacy to be able to do in a public health situation, right? And it's just like, there are very few, if any, states that are like Arkansas and many more states should want to be like Arkansas, which is not a phrase I thought I would have uttered a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's funny earlier today where, so today, you know, the ACIP is, and this is not going to make sense with whenever the podcast is live, but today is when the <laughs> ACIP is meeting about the Pfizer pediatric vaccines and so we're seeing little bits of information um, leak through, and I had to call our lead for the C 
CPSN federal pharmacy program because I was getting confused. I was like, what? okay, some pharmacies are getting emails. Other pharmacies are not getting emails. And I need to know which ones are, are getting what and where um, to, to help this. And he just, he just laughed. He says, oh, it's Arkansas. <laughs> you know, he's like, y'all's team are so strong. I'm like, I know. You send out one thing, and we are group texting about <laughs> Everybody it. Everybody already knows. Five minutes. Right, yeah. We are – it is – and so um, when when folks ask me that, and I've had um, I've, I've had folks from uh, – friends and, and mentors and colleagues from North Carolina asking me, how how does Arkansas do it? And they – there is no – in some – most most – Things, public health, and and how we're responding to the pandemic, and all of that. There is no competition. It's we're all in this together. Everybody's on a call at eight o'clock at night. We're all trying to figure it yeah. out, and we're all sharing information. Like that's such the a good mentality culture yeah. of Arkansas pharmacy. There's obviously some. I mean, there's obviously some competition out there, but like <laughs> sure. for the most part, it is it is just we are all. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's figure out the best way that um to 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 get this done. Whatever the it is, um. And the pandemic for me has shown me how impactful group texts are. It's like <laughs> text everyone now. Like half my life is texting on my phones. So. I love it. Um, but yeah, the they they need it. I mean, the pharmacists are um, grinding every day and having to answer you know pressure and, and questions from the public. Um, so the reality is they don't have as much. Um, even though they probably have three emails about it, you know, in their email, it's, they can't, they need an easy button. That's what I call my text messages. It's the easy button. Everybody's like, I'm so sorry I'm bothering you. I'm like, don't worry. It's the easy button. I've got it. You know, and so they will text me and then I just text them back what they need. Um, what I've, that's what I've learned through the, through the personally of having, how do I help support this network? It's, you know, they need someone to be available, um, and that they can call and they can, you know, um, reach out to at the last minute. I have a patient here. What's going on? And I can't, I usually, I'm not getting back. I can't get back in the same 30 minutes all the time. But um, when pharmacies text me, I'm calling them or texting them back within the same day, you know, so that they, um, they, they have that continuity and they have someone to rely on. Um, and I need it too. I mean, I, we all need it. We need the easy button sometimes. True, I call yeah. someone up and I'm sorry. I know you've emailed me this. Where is it? <laughs> Josh, Josh is my um, easy button usually. There usually you go. <laughs> well, you know, and one of the things, you know, we've been, we've spent a lot of time really over the last couple of years building out infrastructure and in pioneer to be able to communicate well. And it just goes mm-hmm. to show that like, that's clearly the right answer, right? We have to be able to give pharmacists the ability to communicate with each other and across networks very, very quickly. And like, there's just yeah. not a good option. Like iMessage is cool, but that can't be the only option. You're right. right. And that actually reminds me, um, we are doing a research evaluation of Flip the Pharmacy Cohort 1. So it's just the first year of the, um, it's from 2019 to 2020. Um, and I am transcribing and I was a part of some of these interviews. Uh, but uh, one of the things that was mentioned um, was we were asking a lot of questions about the setup. Was it effective? How do we measure effectiveness? Like how did how did it actually work? I mean, we knew what the plan was, but how did it actually work in real life and what was most successful and impactful for the pharmacies? And it came out in one of the messages, they all use this thing. I wasn't familiar with the, um, with the program, but they have a program through, uh, that they can talk to each other. And it, it is an instant message through their computer. Like what you're saying, Josh, mm-hmm. I think it's very similar. And, um, 
And then all of a sudden the light bulb started clicking off for me. I'm like, oh, that's how they were sharing everything. And they were like talking every day in the right. group. And it, yeah. it, you could see it in the rest of their answers then about how well it was working. It was, and it was really down to that in a minute, in a pinch, I'm sharing something. They would hop on and they could get on like do a quick five minute just call or conference call with like five people at a time and or they could just use it through the chat as well but it was connecting different all the different stores um yeah so communication is yeah like slack or something like that a lot of them i noticed use slack yeah uh yes you made me like i this new the 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 fda news hit last week so i haven't really thought about it too much but that's true we this week you're probably getting inundated with is is it released for the five to eleven year old group? Today? Yeah, well, that could happen as yeah. we're on this call. Like, <laughs> they really could. it really could happen while we're on this call. They, um, at, you know, at the moment, you know, it's first the first opening up, which is so strange. They're doing this in waves, but it's different than the first waves back when tw- early twenty twenty one, end of twenty twenty, where it was like a wave meant you're getting this this week, and the next wave might not be for four to six weeks. This is days. So I'm just like, okay, we could just, we don't have to panic anymore. Like, yes, they're getting it on Wednesday, but you're going to get it on Thursday. <laughs> okay. If you're not in wave yeah. one. So like the jurisdictions are all getting kind of the first order out. Then the um, federal pharmacy partners are getting theirs. So we'll, uh, the pharmacies in our state, the earliest they'll get vaccine is Thursday. The latest is Friday of this week. Okay. And then they're getting some on Saturday. But all of that is waiting on this afternoon, CDC, to say, okay. Right. Yeah. But everything is in in place. And so once they say, okay, we just hit a button like everybody, you know, that's the that's the current dissemination place. <laughs> She's got like, a group text. Pre, I'm like pre-ready. I've got a group text. <laughs> <laughs> Pre, pre-primed, ready yeah, to go. Yeah, she just got to hit send. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, exactly. my four-year-old looks like she's five. I'm going to go up to Arkansas next week. And <laughs> I'm joking. I won't break the law. I won't. I won't break, break the law. law. Don't break the law. <laughs> yeah, one thing no, that no. Um, I watched the Pfizer. Pfizer put out some training videos. And so I watched that for an hour yesterday. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, great information. It's just kind of hard to get through it all. Um, but they, um, I mean, it's just not this fun webinars. But they. Um, no. <laughs> They're now we're now going to be referring to Pfizer vaccine as purple caps and orange caps. <laughs> like it's going to be part of our our normal vernacular. It's a purple cap or an orange cap or a gray cap. They're they're going to different color caps. But one of the things that it's funny when you mentioned about four to five year olds and it's, they like they did emphasize it. But I walked away going, oh, this is going to be a long term like. I'm going to have to probably put out some little tips or reminders about this. The people who are on the um, the 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 bridge are from 11 to 12 because this is you know, approved from 5 to 11 and then 12 and overs for our adult doses folks who are turning 11 right around that or in between their doses i mean that um i feel oh, like yeah. there's gonna be a lot of re-education they could actually do either dose is what they said on the webinar now of course this you know making sure this is um what is today? November 2nd. As of today, you're right. Not <laughs> when this is released. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. There right. hasn't been approved EUA yet um, at this point, but as of, you know, what they were had submitted, it was you could do um, either the adult dosing or the pediatric dosing, or you could do any combination almost felt like. So that'll be a That'll yeah. be fun for those folks who are right on the bench. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm still, I mean, like I said, I have a four-year-old, so I'm anxiously awaiting the um, six-month to five-year hmm. EUA. How much longer do you think on that? 
It's funny when I was reading the best answers I've been able to get are from stock analyst reviews because they're they're mm. obviously paying close attention to what's going on at Pfizer. So they were estimating that they were probably two to three weeks behind the five to eleven year, but we've mm. that, you know, that I mean, who knows that's really? that's stock. That, I mean, they were doing the studies at the same time. Yeah, so yeah, that quick. Huh. All you really have to do at this point after showing that, you know, hundreds of millions of people have been vaccinated yeah. successfully yeah. is that it doesn't specifically do anything weird to kids. So mm-hmm. who knows? It might be two to three weeks. I hope it is because yeah. I'll feel a lot more cavalier about going out into the world. Yeah. Yeah, same same for me. I heard this. that's a much better reference. I, uh, this was just someone from someone else who told me that um, they had heard it was by the end of this year, we could mm-hmm. expect to have it. So, um, yeah. We're waiting. I just run around and I think, start jabbing. <laughs> I, know, I think Everybody. that, you know, those of us who are, we're going, like the, those of us who are early acceptors or adopters or, you know, have a term you want to use, like we're all ready to just to give vaccinate our kids, but there's so, I know there, there's still a struggle with, um, with hesitancy. And so we're still trying to knock on that door. I mean, we're only sitting at, I think 50% vaccinated in Arkansas. In Arkansas. So it's just, and it's not the, you know, the people who want to get it, who got it the very, you know, very first day, they're, they're the ones going to vaccinate their kids, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's the, it's everyone else. It's, um, of just, I'm just going to say how many to, people how do, do you, how many kids do you know that died of polio? None. 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 Yes, none. It's a no-brainer. I'm like, come on. Um, so you're also so we'll we'll get into so that's like what what else I know CPSN for you for the most part has probably been all that, right? For the most part. Like uh that vaccination efforts. What about with the monoclonal antibodies? Are you are you are are you guys as have to be as involved there? <laughs> I feel like my network forces me to be involved. Nice. <laughs> well, but they just, and that's, I've said that very lovingly and very lightly, but they're, they're very, um, they, they jump on the gun with things. And so I almost yeah. kind of have to have to at them because the people are going to ask me questions. I tried, um, Mark, I tried really, really hard in <laughs> the beginning to just go, you know what? I'm not going to learn about this. You guys got this. <laughs> Somebody wants to do this. <laughs> you yeah, guys got this. Y'all want to offer yeah. monoclonal antibodies? You do it. I don't. I don't even want to go down this route right now. Like, there's, there's so many. Number one, I mean, there are. Um, what I do for CPESN, Arkansas, can be a full time job for sure. And yeah. I don't. It's not a full time job that I'm spending. Like, I do spend a, a, a good portion of my time on it, and I try to align the t- uh, my what I say yes to and all of my hours around, you know, servicing them, I can turn that into my teaching. Then I can turn that into my research. Sure. Like it's, they're not, so they're not all set completely separate things, but they do require, you know, their own time as well. So uh, number one, it, it takes, we need more folks. We need more academicians. We need more pharmacists and more uh, staff and pharmacies to be involved, uh, not pharmacies and pharmacists and faculty to help community pharmacy. We need more of this. And there's a lot um, that we can do um, with supporting our schol- our teaching aims as well as our research aims. And there's just a pl- you can make a career out of this. That's something that we're having to tell the academia side. They're, they're just thought that it's 
they don't think you can make a there's a there's a rumor that you know there's not a career in community pharmacy as a faculty member and i'm mm. like here to show you yes you can clearly clearly i went to a pharmacy like, school so where that more. was not a rumor that was a stated fact so Ooh. yeah i i give them a hard time about that whenever i see them but it's other colleges well no when i talk to faculty from the university of texas oh, yeah. i'm like Guys, when I was in pharmacy school, and still to a degree, if you didn't go do a clinical residency and work in a hospital, you are wasting your time. And that was just decidedly untrue. Yes, and I agree with that. And I feel like the, you know, we need to do a better job of highlighting the, the great career that community pharmacy is, and we can do more support to CPSN networks like that, like this. So, um, or, you know, CPSN networks and have the like, uh, hire their own executive. Uh, when we get the revenue streams figured out, they can hire their own executive director and probably take a lot of what I do off my plate. But um, monoclonal antibodies is, I was like, okay, it was beginning of the fall. I have new classes and new things. So I was just sort of like, I need, I need to just say like, y'all got this, right? You've got this one. I don't have to do it. And then, um, but because some of the pharmacies in Arkansas were the first ones to just start it. Yeah. Um, giving it, I got the ask from CPSN USA, hey, can you lead a weekly webinar about monoclonal antibodies? And you so, bet. Hmm. Um, so yes, I got involved and I ended up learning about it. <laughs> and I said, okay. So um, there, one of the things that CPSN um, does, depending on whatever the it is thing at the time, um, at, at one point it was point of care testing mm -hmm. or when COVID testing kind of really took off and still got interested in that. Um, another one was, I mean, immunizations. Um, they would do this uh, a series called Workflow Wednesdays, um, and it's kind of had a, a couple of different looks. Um, sometimes it was just an email with attachments. Sometimes it was a video. Um, sometimes it was a live webinar. Um, but uh, this time, it's been a live webinar. Um, really, is a learning collaborative place where folks can quickly, you know, hear of someone that's in another state that's actively doing monoclonal antibody therapy or giving it or are they doing home visits are they doing infusions are they doing sub q how do you actually set it up what's the extra staff that you need they could quickly kind of get on and learn from each other so i don't have to you know, right. be an expert in it but i'm bringing those folks together and then i'm writing down and taking all of their advice and we're putting it into what we're calling a change package to me it's just sort of a list of best practices how do you actually implement this in a community pharmacy setting and that is being um updated every week on flip the pharmacy.com gotcha. so flip the pharmacy.com at the top has a banner and it'll have our change package there so you can see all of the areas of personnel and then how do you actually do it how do you think about customer um experience um because apparently it was really helpful to have snacks and water on hand i mean they're with you for a long time that, yeah. um, that makes sense they're, they're not only with you yeah. for a long time but i was shocked when i, I was looking through the stuff like the infusibles for monoclonal antibodies make sense, right? That's where they were intended. But the sub-Q injections, you're injecting like a huge amount of volume. It's like, huge. it's nuts. Like normal sub-Q. Yeah. Oh. Dude, like, so normal sub-Q, you're looking at 0 0.1, 0 0.2 milliliters. Right, you're looking right. at two and a half milliliters. Like you're infusing, yeah. you're putting in a lot of volume. Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half milliliters multiple, and four injections. Yeah, I was going to say multiple injections, right? Yeah. yeah. Across, yeah, four there's four and um, four two and a half milliliter injections that you have to, to administer. And it's very viscous too. It's hard to 
draw up and deliver, but you don't want to be too slow. You don't want to be too fast. And we do have that in our thing as well about how long it should take you to depress it. I think it was like a minute you had to, to depress two and a half mils to just to, but yeah. Well, I mean, could you imagine trying to do a two and a half mil fast push? Like that would be uncomfortable at best. Very uncomfortable. Nobody, um, that, that has been one common thing that we've all been worried about, but the uh, none of the patients have reported um, discomfort with the sub-Q, like, even though it must have really? like a whole okay. lot. It looks like a lot. But, yeah, the patients are fine with it. They're like, oh, it's all right. When you feel it. Like yeah, now it's for because of COVID virus yeah, patients, like, too, probably. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm like, probably feel like crap. <laughs> so you're like, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Well, I heard, yeah, they do feel like. Like they do feel ter- terrible, and even within before they leave you, um, I've heard the stories from these pharmacists are like maybe before they leave the the their clinic or their waiting area, they're like they're feeling so right. much better. Yeah. Like it's really fast, um, how um, the in, the effect that it has on the on patients. So yes, I do know a little bit about that, and just kind of. It sounds like you're the person the, to ask that question to. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to continue these monoclonal antibody therapy workflow Wednesdays um, until we. So you don't need them anymore. It's not yeah, needed. Yeah. Need, yeah, we have it planned right now through the end of December. We're not sure if we even need to go that long, to be honest. But okay. um, uh, all of the information um, is available in the Sunday updates as well. So if anybody's in CPSN receiving those um, weekly Sunday update emails, there's in there as well. All the past webinar recordings, if you want to hear about it. Now. Um, Another thing we cover a lot of each time is billing for that one. That one's a little bit tricky with the billing. Um, it brought to the forefront again, which we is something that I've heard about and seen and had a barrier for many years, is how do you bill, do medical billing in a pharmacy? And I have to explain that um, to, to, to students in a way they'll understand too. They're like, what? I'm like, I know. We don't really talk about billing. That's true. <laughs> we just process prescriptions. So we process prescriptions and um, that you can adjudicate right then. Medical billing is not the same and it doesn't use the same process. And again, we're shifting <laughs> the expectations and how do we make this infrastructure work for this, these t- new types of services? Um, and we have to do that, honestly, in order to really take advantage of that if we can get national provider status ever you know it's when we get that we're going to need our billing processes in place just getting into the into the legislation is not going to you know change your practice overnight or in a week we'd still um, need to work through how how to perform medical billing Um, and whether that's your your Sub it, subbing it out and they were contracting it out. And that's what um, several of the pharmacies are doing with monoclonal antibodies is they're, they're just contracting out for someone else, another a medical billing company to submit that on their behalf. Um, right. Well, and you know, just as important for that though, like you have to be able to figure out how to do medical billing for pharmacies, but you're going to have to make it easy for the insurances to be able to work with pharmacies is no matter how yeah. much you change the law, if it's hard for insurance companies to work with you, they're just not going to do it. True. Absolutely. Um, that same sentiment is the same with credentialing. And I had to learn a lot more about that with, you know, insurance credentialing of like, well, we're allowed to bill for this. We're like, well, you're not credentialed with us. You know, this right. is what it looks yeah. like. Right. And, and even that process, I was surprised, um, how long that could take. So, uh, anyone else listening, it just, it's, um, if you have, we need to start that process for you on the pharmacy side could take you, um, just as an applicant, you, you need to set aside a few weeks 
to figure that out to even apply. But then um, into the uh, insurance companies, it could take them a year to actually get it all through. That, I thought that was really surprising to me. It takes a year to process the application in some cases. That's not all cases, but in some cases. But that's just another you know hurdle of how do how are how are all these pieces connecting and how are you communicating across these different systems and that our entire setup as I mean, what we've been doing as a pharmacy business just hasn't been made for this so yeah. it, it makes sense to me of why we're you know we're kind of a, a coming up on some roadblocks and we're having to figure out you know build our bridges and all that I mean I was like yeah we just weren't we we're never set up that way we we need to now we want to yeah, there's there's need true. for that um, but yeah there's um, we're same for workflow. And I think that pioneer has done, um, and I know is actively working on a lot of ways to, to continue to enhance workflow. Uh, this is something I, how I share with my students that workflow at a community pharmacy is built around the efficiency to get the prescription filled. That's what it was. Now we have to, what is the workflow for all these other patient care activities you want to do? <laughs> so it's a whole different, it's a, it's a different task. It's a different end goal. It's a different, I mean, it's just, it's different. And we've talked a long time about, um, we meaning, I was a very general, but just kind of in my circles and what I've been seeing in um, conversations at conferences is how do we integrate patient care, that whole integrating, integrating to workflow. How do we integrate into workflow? And the other day I just had this thought of maybe we just don't. <laughs> it's just so hard um, to integrate. I was like, we're, we're taking this really hard, you know, thing that's been very efficient, and now we're trying to add in all these other pieces. Maybe the adding in and tweaking and pushing, like, I don't know, maybe that whole idea of integrating is not, maybe something's missing there. I feel like it would be, we would maybe have solved it by now. <laughs> Um, I, and I don't mean to be cynical about any of our technology for folks about that. I, what I'm thinking more of the, the, that the workflows require a different workflow. Like, right. and I'm not saying that you would have to have a different system or you can't, a pioneer can't right, do it. Right. I, I, mean. I don't mean that at all. But what I mean is the process of what, what does it look like for a prescription to be entered going from A to Z you know, instead of inserting our clinical into there, it's like we have to have a clinical workflow track on top of this. It's probably just different. We're going to use both, but it's going to be a separate, um, a separate roles and responsibilities. What's happening? Who who goes where? I mean, the documentation might be different. Right. We could use the same system, but trying to figure out, okay, well, when a prescription comes in and then I'm filling it and validating it, then I'm going to do this part of my clinical part. And then I'm going to call the patient. Then I'm going to stop here and do this. We, we've, we've patched it together. I think we have some things that work really well, but chronic care management, it's just not working very well right now. <laughs> right now, right. what I'm seeing, I'm like, it's hard. Well, um, you know, it, it's a lot like, you know, we look, we address workflow in that regard where you can do filling and clinical is either integrated or asynchronous. And I think the you know, the way I kind of look at that differentiator is if you've got one pharmacist and one technician, it has to be integrated. If you've got a certain sure. number of volume or a bunch of different activities, just like MedSync, you can sync your patients and do refills with one person. But at a certain point, the volume get, becomes such that you're, you have a, a regular waiter workflow and then you have a MedSync workflow that's operated by a separate person. And I, I think in that boat, you have your clinical services people in an ideal world that exist outside of that workflow, but your workflow mm -hmm. can trigger those things at certain points. 
right? Exactly. And, and that's the trick. Nobody's there yet, but I think you have to work to that point because you're right. I don't think you can do all of the things that you need to do all the time, right? It's just not possible. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's how many services are you doing or what, what is the, the business model you've set up? And with that staffing, if you have the one pharmacist, one tech, like you're saying, yes, it has to be integrated. And then at the same time, yes, you're, you're going to have to choose which things you're doing, right? right you right. can't, you can't do monoclonal yeah. antibody therapy and point of care testing and genetic counseling. And, you know, you can't do that with this, this, those two people. I'll be um, a little snarky and, and I, say that CVS thinks you can. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. They're wrong. She's like, I'm but. dodging this one. You can't, as two people do, every, there's going to be a max to that. Um, uh, so I, I, I love what you just said, Josh, and I think you're 100% right. And we, um, there are some things that I do feel work really well with workflow. It's just, I don't think it's working with all services. You can't just have. You just build upon that for anything and everything we want to do. <laughs> um, I do feel like there's a uh, one of the pharmacies I've, I've had the privilege of working with this last, um, wow, 10 months that I've been with them. We started, I've, I've, they've been kind of a test pilot store for me for uh, since the beginning. But in the last 10 months, I've really helped them and became part of their team where with providing vaccinations. And um, so, Josh, I invite you out back to Arkansas. Come visit the store <laughs> if you haven't visited them already. Um, because they are they have a separate staff for each of their clinical workflows. And I think that is what's so cool. And I've been uh, I've been there every week. I do there four hours a week. And my role there is to give vaccines. Um, so I do their vaccine clinic um, each each Wednesday. That's me. And then um, they have other, as, as, they have more staff. They have, a, um, well, I'll have like four or five pharmacists there on like any given day. And they all have their own, um, their own unique pockets. Like mine is vaccines. And then I do also do point of care testing. But then um, when I'm not there, there's a designated person that they're responsible for the vaccines or they're responsible for their um, the bubble packing. And um, also their workflow is they have 80 percent of their chronic fills are on um, or synced. So they're very proactive and it's changing that mind that said of that workflow that's being very proactive. That's helped them a lot. They've said and they um, like I was there on Wednesday. They were working on Sunday fills. So it, it just having that kind of change of everything's not a fire, like everything that's going on in the pharmacy, but they're not fires that have to be dealt with right then. It allows them that opportunity to, to go into right. monoclonal antibody therapy or to yeah. think about something right. else you, and, and yeah. add well, that and, on. And that's one of the important things. And we tell almost every pharmacy that gets pioneered this, they're like, oh, I'm ready to start care planning. Well, not until you've got most of your patients synced. Right, like that has to be the you won't foundational have the room. Part. Is that what yeah. you're saying? You won't have the you, have you won't to, have the air. Yeah, you have to free up the time to be able to do other stuff, and you can't do that if all you do all day is firefight. Exactly. Yeah. No, I I can see it with them, and and I um, I think more people need to to see that. It, and it's hard. I know it's hard. If you're going from zero to making that transition 
it's very awkward. I actually just um, summarized Flip the Pharmacy up in that way. And I thought, actually, it's probably a good way to summarize it. Like, what is Flip the Pharmacy? I was like, it's that awkward time <laughs> going from one business model to a whole different business model. Like, this is Flip the Pharmacy. It's very hard and awkward because you are try- you have one foot here and one foot there. And you're trying to figure out how to pivot um, to um, – to some of those other goals that you have or services you want to provide or, you know, incorporating and not thinking proactively about your patient base rather than who all is there. You know, uh, one of the things that Troy Trigg said, says at several talks or conferences that he at, he's at, he says, it's not about the person who's standing right in front of you that day. you got to think about everybody that you're servicing, not the ones who are just in the pharmacy that day or just in the store. So it's that mindset changing and how, what are, how are you taking advantage of your, um, opportunity with with those patients and with that patient base that you're serving so i agree 100 percent. you have to do this uh, med sync and if you've never done it or set it up or it's going to be hard in the beginning right. just to get there it's awkward there's going to be awkward stages yeah we we talk to a lot of people and like when you first start it it's going to be worse until mm-hmm. you get to Before about until you get to about 25 percent of your chronic patients synced. it's going to hurt mm-hmm well, you would ask me about monoclonal antibodies. You're saying, I'm sure you're doing all that with vaccines. And yes, that kind of took over a lot of my time and, and attention when when we needed um, to roll that out. And I do serve as our state lead for that. But um, I thought what you were going to ask was, is there anything else that you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you teach. <laughs> I know you have all of this other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There's some other, there's some other stuff. And if I could just plug a little bit into... Um, if it hasn't come through strongly enough, I really uh, want to encourage the com- the relationship between community pharmacies and academia. And not every, you know not all academia is there yet, and I'm fighting a good fight to get them there um, to show them the value that community pharmacy is and the value of working together. Um, if you've not made that connection to to call out, make a connection. Um, if you need a starting place, the Act for Pharmacy, it's called actforpharmacy.com. It's the ACT Collaborative, the oh, Academia yeah, and yeah. CPSN Transformation mm-hmm. um, Collaborative. That one, um, the first kind of goal of that was just to connect people. So if you want to know who to reach out to at a local uh, college or school of pharmacy, you can go to actforpharmacy.com, click on champions at the top, and it'll give you a point of reference, a point of contact. This is the person who is interested in community pharmacy. So if we haven't made that yet, there's a connection for you. Um, I also run a residency program and facilitate yes. that. And so I think that there is a uh, a big opportunity with enhancing community practice through residencies and postgraduate training. That can be a way that you can maybe take that next step, um, maybe without hiring a full, you know, right. full yeah. on new staff, but that you can uh, get a lot of benefit for using a trainee in, in these settings. I view residencies as a learning opportunity for the residents, but then they also are giving back and every one of the businesses should be better by the time that resident leaves every year. So we always look for synergies of how you, that resident can help um, the business grow year to year. So um, that's just another opportunity that community pharmacists can uh, relationship opportunity they can take to help grow what they're doing. I love community pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. that, that's definitely going to end up as a snippet. You realize that, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, and, and, and I, you know, anecdotally, I, I think that tracks well with what we've seen at Pioneer. You know, like I work with several oh, pharmacy yeah, cohorts. Aaron, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, yeah every oh, single yeah, time you have an engaged, well-run 
flip the pharmacy cohort, it's because of a strong academic connection. You know, that's Arkansas, that's Georgia, that's Mississippi, that's Pennsylvania. And that that's the common thread, right? You have somebody who's there to help back them up, help facilitate, write down, you know, make sure you're catching all those little things about how to do this, you know, and, and really kind of coordinating those efforts. So I, I totally agree with you. Like getting the school of pharmacy that's around to to be more engaged in those communities is is massive. And they're typically better at like writing, I, I would think. Yeah, like better at writing grants. Writing right? grants, <laughs> right? Like writing the thing, you know, to, to go get money to do a PMPM for XYZ or something like that, right? They're typically just, that's what they are better at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I try to take off what I do and and, um, and get it many, as many places as I can to just share that story. But publications is one of those. And I did a Pharmacy Today article about how you can use your um, students on rotation. So if you already have, you know, having students, that's another area that tends to get um, just uh, – I mean, I wouldn't say it's ignored or anything. It's just it hasn't been thought about in that way of, hey, you can use rotation students are coming to you. It doesn't have to be a one-way street. They can definitely help you as well. And so I've designed a few rotations where um, the students are part of Flip the Pharmacy and are giving back to Flip the Pharmacy. Josh, you're going to get another invite, like, um, probably tomorrow. <laughs> another student about, presentation. About our All sponsor right. presentation. Yeah. So it's, um, but how we use the students um, to benefit and help advance practice too. And they get a lot out of that. So, I mean, they do still obviously need to make sure that they're going to, you know, um, that their patient care skills are, you know, they're getting practice in that, obviously. But you don't have to um, kind of pigeonhole them per se. Like, uh, I've had a, several conversations with some community pharmacies who are like, oh, oh, I can have the student do that. I said, yes, your student can do that. <laughs> so um, of just ways that, that they're like, I don't even know if point of care testing is for me. I said, well, give that as a project <laughs> to your student. What questions are, cha- what are your barriers? What are things that, that make you nervous? Have them find the answers Look at that. or go to that conference or sign into that webinar that you don't have time to sign into. Have them do it and report back to you. Yeah. And they thought, this is amazing. So, um, yeah, they're another great, great resource too. Yeah. Think about all the research you get to do when someone else gets to do it for you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. well, you know, a exactly. lot of, the, a another, lot of the times I'll um, use interns to do that. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. There's another group I'm a part of called the rule CP. It's the, um, it's a rural community pharmacy uh, practice based research network. Um, it's in five states, North Carolina, it's, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, Arkansas, and Alabama. And then we're expanding to Tennessee and Georgia. Did I say Georgia? Anyway, we're expanding to them, but it's for rural community pharmacists. And that is, that is exactly what you were saying, Mark, of the whole point of that is to write grants <laughs> to get them money. So we can practice, the, you know, show what's working in rule settings mm-hmm. um, and get the money for for doing and helping us advance. Like what um, how do we address vac- right now? Kind of the things we have in the pipeline or how do we address vaccine hesitancy in rural communities? And so we get the community pharmacies to partner with us to try the interventions and um, make that study. But then we also have the study. I mean, we're paying them for that, too. So you don't have it's a no cost, um, you know, um, 
venture, but uh, trying to set up more networks like that, I think it would be, I think that's kind of what for me CPSN is to me, it's my laboratory per se. And that rural network is a laboratory that's actually has some um, really well-experienced researchers that actually can get NIH grants. So we have a few of those in the line, nice. <laughs> um, but it's doing exactly what you're saying. Awesome. I'd love to challenge Scott Pasta. I'd love to come back. <laughs> Dude, we could we could we could do a duel. Yeah. Well, hopefully at some point maybe we could do a remote podcast from Arkansas or something like oh, that. Oh, that'd be cool. I'll, I'll go visit and you guys can duke it out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. Well, right. Megan, you're amazing. Oh, thanks. We all knew that, but <laughs> now everyone else does. <laughs> and oh, thank uh, you so much. And thank you so much for being on and everything you're doing community pharmacy wise. It's a community we serve and stand behind just like you do as well. So thanks for spending time with us today and uh, we'll see you out there. All right. Uh, Thank you. Take care, everyone. All right. right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.